stories of imagination are never far. They still reside in us, guiding us ever forward. Join us now as we journey forward into the past. And here is your host, J.C. Riddell. Hi friends, and welcome to another fine episode of Forward Into the Past. I'm J.C. Riday, your host and narrator, and today we're picking up where we left off last time in the exciting Nick Carter mystery from 1903, Toying with Fate, or Nick Carter's Narrow Shave. Story papers, like the one where this mystery was first presented, were weekly or monthly periodicals that featured serialized shorts, poems, and illustrations. They were widely popular in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, providing readers of all ages with exciting and affordable entertainment. With their mix of adventure, romance, and mystery, story papers had something for everyone. Street and Smith was a major player in the world of story papers, publishing numerous titles that garnered a loyal following. Some of their most popular story paper titles included The New York Weekly, The Popular Magazine, and The Fireside Companion. These publications not only entertained their readers, but also introduced them to new literary genres and themes. As with all good things, however, the story paper era eventually came to an end. One of the key factors in the decline of story papers was the increasing popularity of dime novels and pulp magazines. Dime novels, like those published by Street and Smith, were inexpensive and featured thrilling tales of adventure, romance, and crime. Pulp magazines, named for their cheap paper on which they were printed, offered similar content, but in a more compact format. These new forms of entertainment competed with story papers for readers' attention and ultimately contributed to their demise. Another factor in the decline of story papers was the advancement of printing technology. As printing techniques improved, it became more cost-effective for publishers to produce magazines and books with higher-quality paper, illustrations, and layouts. This shift in printing technology led to the rise of more visually appealing publications, which further eroded the appeal of simpler story papers. The development of new forms of entertainment, such as radio and film, also played a role in the decline of story papers. As more households gained access to radios and movie theaters, the demand for printed entertainment began to wane. Story papers, which once offered readers a glimpse into exciting worlds and thrilling adventures, just couldn't compete with the immersive audiovisual experiences provided by radio and film. Lastly, changes in societal reading habits also contributed to the decline of story papers. As the pace of life accelerated and leisure time became more precious, Many readers sought shorter, more easily digestible forms of entertainment. Dime novels, pulp magazines, and later, comic books and paperback novels filled this need, offering readers a quicker and more satisfying reading experience. So in the end, Street and Smith ultimately created their own demise by offering exactly what the public needed at that time. But here, at Forward Into the Past, we're making sure that their efforts were not in vain as we unearth stories that have faded into memory, such as this 1903 Nick Carter thriller, Toying with Fate, or 
Nick Carter's Narrow Shave. Chapter 11. Acting Apart Carter secured a disguise from the costumer. When he came out, he looked like a typical tough. Nick had some plan in his mind. He was sure that he was on the right trail, and that, such being the case, it would not be long before he would have forged every link in the chain of evidence. While he was confident of success, still, he did not know for a certainty who had committed the dastardly crime at the Red Dragon Inn, or what the real motive was. He had suspicions, and he had collected strong circumstantial evidence, but he wanted something more than this, and he was prepared to take any risk to obtain it. On his way downtown, he stopped at a telephone station and called up Patsy, whose whereabouts he knew. Meet me downtown at my den within two hours, he said. At last he reached Lem Samson's saloon and entered. A bartender was on duty. Samson was not in the place. Only a few hangers-on were lolling about. Carter staggered up to the bar, and, calling for a drink, he cast his eyes about the room. No one seemed to be paying any particular attention to him. Nearly all of the men had records and were known to the police. The detective poured the liquor into a cuspidor when the bartender's back was turned. It was vile stuff, and he would not have drunk it unless he had been forced to do so by dire expediency. After placing the glass back on the bar, he walked into the back room and sat down. He picked up a copy of a sporting weekly and pretended to be deeply interested in examining the text and pictures. But while he seemed to be reading, his eyes were wandering about the room, and every person who entered the barroom he scrutinized closely. He was waiting for someone. Was that someone Brocky? Half an hour passed. Carter had not stirred out of his chair. The side door opened. A man entered. That man was Brocky Gann. And the detective saw him. Still he did not move. No change took place in his countenance. Not a muscle moved. Brocky looked around the back room. His eyes fell on Carter, whose eyes were bent on the paper. Brocky started, bent forward, and a change took place in the expression of his evil face. He uttered an ugly oath and stepped up to Carter, exclaiming, Why, Muggsy Donovan, when did you get out? Carter looked up, smiled inanely a weak, silly, maudlin grin, and replied, How are you, Brocky? What's that you said? Sit down and have a ball with me. I asked you when you got out. Ah, six weeks ago. What you going to have? Name your poison. I'll take some of the rosy. I've been on the tramp. I just dropped in here thinking I'd run up again, yes? Oh? The bartender brought the liquor, and the two men were silent. It will be well to explain that Muggsy Donovan was an old pal of Brocky's, whom Carter had arrested and sent to prison for highway robbery. The rascal was still in Sing Sing. It will also be seen that the detective's disguise must have been perfect to have deceived Brocky as it did. The scoundrel actually believed that he was talking to his old pal. How is it you got out so soon? Brocky asked after he swallowed his liquor. They reduced me sentence, the detective rejoined. How was that? I saved one of the keeper's life. Go on. I ain't jollying you. How did you do it? An insane mug tried to escape from his cell. The keeper catched him, and then he made an attempt to kill the keeper. I seed it, and I knocked out the mug, see? Then the jailer petitioned the governor to leave me out. What are you going to do? Well, that's what I wanted to see yous about. 
I'm not into anything. You should not? asked Nick dubiously. What do you mean by looking at me in that way? Brocky, this isn't a safe place to talk. What do you mean? We've go someplace where we can talk with safety. I don't understand you. Brocky, don't you try to get an old pal like me such a bluff as that? Muggsy, Brocky, I'm onto your game. You are onto my game? Sure. Come on, let's go someplace where we can talk with safety. Brocky looked intently at the detective. I can't see what's in your nut, he ejaculated. Do you want to talk over private matters here? Carter asked, and Brocky drawled. No. Then let's go to some quiet joint. I'll be hanged. Brocky, I knows what game use is working. I am working no game. I am on my uppers. Don't try to give me any game like that now, because I'm onto the whole layout. You? Wait, I... Brocky Gad, I taught you never go back on an old pal in this way. I am not going back on you, Muggsy. You is when you refuse to let me in on the game, so I can get some of the graft. You talk in riddles. I seed one thing. And what's that? I've got to speak more plain. Oh, you will. All right, then here goes. Don't just blame me if anyone hears it and yous get into a trap. Last winter, yous was paid to... Uh, <coughs> Wait, Muggsy. Brocky bent forward. A strange expression was in his eyes. I'm waiting, Brocky, Carter said, and he returned the rascal's searching gaze. Where were you last night? Brocky asked. Carter laughed. <laughs> oh, yous is coming to your milk now, Brocky, he remarked. Were you in this place last night? What's the use of talking here? It ain't safe, Brocky. Let me give you a tip. Nick Carter may turn up here any moment, and you and me might not be able to get on him, see? Brocky uttered an oath. His face turned pale. He glanced over his shoulder and his eyes wandered about the room. <laughs> ain't my advice sensible? the detective asked. I guess it is, Brocky replied. Then let's get out of here. All right but I'll be hanged if I can understand what I'll explain everything, Brocky. Okay, where will we go? To a quiet crib that I knows about. Is it far? Nah. The two men arose from the table and hurried out of the saloon. Carter was playing a dangerous game. Would he be able to carry it through successfully to the end? At any moment he was liable to make a slip, and Brocky would then be able to penetrate his disguise. So far, he had deceived the rascal. As they left the saloon, the detective breathed easier. He had succeeded in getting Brocky away from his friends. That was a great point gained. They turned onto McDougal Street. Where are you going? Brocky asked, after they had reached 4th Street. Not far, Carter replied. I've got a room around here on 4th Street. When did you hire it? Today. Oh, uh, yeah, here it is. The detective led the way into a private house. Brocky's suspicions were not aroused. If he had been aware that he was being led into a trap like a lamb to slaughter, he would have then and there made a desperate fight. Carter had rented a room in this house for years, and he had used it frequently. He opened the door of the room with a key. The house was as quiet as a graveyard. This is a quiet joint, Brocky said as he followed the detective into the room and gazed around. There was nothing about the place to indicate for what purpose it had been used by the detective. It was nothing more to all outward appearances than a plainly furnished bedroom. 
Take a seat, Brocky, said Carter blandly, and at the same time he turned the key in the lock, took it out, and put it into his pocket. I wish you had some liquor about here, Brocky remarked as he sank down into a chair. Oh, I can accommodate yous. Can you? Oh, yeah. Carter opened a bureau drawer, took out a bottle and glasses, and placed them on the table. Brocky poured out a glassful of the liquor and drank it. A few minutes after it was down, a look of surprise spread over his face. Oh, my gosh, he exclaimed. Where did you get that, Muggsy? <laughs> Ain't it rich? asked Carter with a smile. It's more than rich. Where did you get it? I swiped it off some drunk. I thought you didn't pay for it. Leave us talk business now. Brocky's countenance changed. He leaned back in his chair, looked at the detective, and made no reply. Carter was silent for a time and then said, Brocky, as I said down in Samson's joint, I be out of your game, and I'd like to know how you got onto it, Brocky growled. I'll tell yous after a while. All right, go ahead. Yous is mixed up in the Red Dragon in murder. My God! Brocky bounded out of his chair as if he had received a shock of electricity. His face was the color of ashes. He stood still and gasped at Carter. Yous needn't throw a fit, the detective ejaculated. There ain't no fly cop around here to hear me and pinch us. <laughs> I'm a fool, Brocky exclaimed as he wiped the cold perspiration from his brow and sat down in his chair again. Ah, rest easy, me covey. But, Muggsy, you puzzle me. Do I? Yep. Carter laughed. Okay. Fire ahead, Brocky said. Two rich blokes hired you to put Carter out of the way. One of them's named Darwin, and the other rich. I... Wait, I... As I said, they hired yous, and last night yous broke into Old Wright's room at the Cosmopolitan Hotel, and yous got sold. Muggsy. Give me a chance to get through. All right, I will. Now, I knows all these things, and I knows how much yous got, and I want a slice of the dough, see? And if I don't agree to give up, then I'll... Then I'll go to your friend Carter. You wouldn't do that. Just yous try to throw me down, and yous'll see what I'll do. Muggsy. Brocky, yous have got to come to time. Huh. I suppose I'll have to. Yous can gamble on that. If I give up, you'll have to help me. All right. Okay, I'll introduce you to Rich and Darwin. Tell me the full lay. Tell me how you got onto what you know. I piped yous. When? Last night. Was that all? Yep. Uh-huh. Don't get so disgusted. I'm not. Okay, then tell me the whole lay. All right, I will. Brocky became silent. Carter's eyes sparkled as he watched his companion. His heart was beating rapidly, but outwardly he appeared composed. Patiently, he waited for Brocky to commence to speak. Would the rascal speak the truth? He asked himself. Brocky was liable to tell a false story. I know more than you think, Brocky, Carter remarked. So if yous go to giving me any fairy tales, I'll be down on yous with all me force. I'm going to tell you all about the lay, Brocky replied, as he aroused himself out of his reverie. Okay, then fire ahead. Don't get impatient. I'm not. Have you got anything to smoke? Sight. All right, then set it out. Carter placed some cigars on the table. Brocky picked one up, lit it, and commenced to smoke. With a sigh, he settled himself back in the chair. Another silence followed, and it was nearly five minutes 
before he commenced to talk. Chapter 12. Caught in a Trap I want to tell you one thing, Muggsy, Brocky exclaimed suddenly, sitting bolt upright in his chair. I'm not as deep in this affair of the Red Dragon Inn as you suspect. Don't give me any of that, Carter rejoined, blowing a cloud of smoke up in the air over his head. Upon my honor, what I tell you is the truth. Carter could not help smiling when Brocky spoke of his honor. Such a scoundrel as that does not know what honor is. The detective knew well that Brocky had no honor, that he would lie, steal, and if he found himself in a tight place, he would not hesitate to betray an accomplice, if by doing so he could save himself. Brocky noticed the smile, and he flared up instantly. What are you smiling at, Muggsy? he demanded. Yos, Carter replied without moving a muscle, and he puffed away at his cigar unconcernedly. You are laughing at me? Certainly. I, just give me a pain. Just go on with your story. I want to know. Drop it. What were you laughing at? When yous talk a honor, it's enough to make a dog laugh. Is, come on, Brocky, we's understand each other. Spiel ahead. Neither of us has got any honor for that matter. All right. Brocky quieted down. He took several pulls at a cigar, and then he continued. As I said, I'm not as deep in that Red Dragon Inn affair as you think. Let it go at that. I'll tell you all about the affair, Muggs. Then you and I can put our heads together and decide what to do. We'll give him a good song and dance, make no mistake at that. How shall I start? At the beginning? How else would I start? Yous might start at the tail. All right, that'll do. Yous is wasting time. Then keep quiet. Okay, I'm mum. All right, then listen. Brocky cleared his throat. It was the day before New Year's, he said. I was down on my luck, and I hadn't a cent in my pocket. Not in a long time had I been in such a hole. I tried to touch a dozen of the gang, but everyone seemed to be in the same boat. No one could show me a cent. I was at Samson's saloon. Along about four o'clock a bloke came in. It was Simeon Rich. Darwin had given me a knockdown to him some time before. At a glance, I saw that he was excited about something. He spied me, came up, caught hold of my arm, dragged me after him out of the saloon, pushed me into a cab, and ordered the cabbie to hurry up and not lose sight of another cab that was just turning into Broadway. My breath was taken away. I didn't know what to make of Rich's actions. The cab started, and before I could utter a word, Rich said, Brocky, I need your assistance. You can have it if you pay for it, I replied. All right, I'll pay, said Rich. Then what is it you want me to do, I asked. I want you to track a man. Well, Rich pulled out a roll of bills and staked me with a hundred. He told me that in the cab which we were following was a man whom he hated and whom he wanted to locate. As soon as I found out where the man was going to put up, I was to send him word. Rich got out of the cab, and before he did so, he told me, that he was going to dine that night at the Knickerbocker Cottage, and I could send him word there. Why didn't Rich keep in with you? He said he wanted to meet Darwin. He was in a very nervous condition, and another thing I saw was that he had been drinking heavily. Well, he got out, and I kept on the bloke's trail. Finally, the first cab stopped at the corner of Broadway and 16th Street. My cab stopped on the next corner. I got out in a hurry and I saw an old man get out of the other cab. 
What was the number the cab use was in? 147. Why? That's all right. Go on. As I said, an old man got out of the other cab. I got close up to him when he was paying the driver, and I heard him tell the man that he would not need him any longer. As the old bloke walked off, I noticed that he had the lockstep. You don't say, interposed Nick. I do. At first I was not sure, but as I followed him and noted every action, I knew that he had been a guest at the big hotel up the river. He looked respectable enough, but there was the stamp of the prison on him. I followed the old fellow around all evening. He stopped in at a number of places, and he seemed to be looking for someone. About ten o'clock, he entered a restaurant on Sixth Avenue and sat down at one of the tables. I went to the office of the district messenger company, wrote a note, and sent it to Rich, asking him to meet me at McKeever's place. In a short time, he and Darwin met me in the saloon. We all had a drink. Then Rich listened to what I had to say about the old man. When we got outside of the saloon, Rich said that he wouldn't need me any more that night, but he might the next day. And then Yus went off to blow a hundred plunks. Of course I did. Then Yus don't know what Rich and Darwin did. Well, I surmise. What? Rich and Darwin followed the old cove until they cornered him at the Red Dragon Inn. Yeah? Then Rich got into the place and, well, you can imagine the rest. So Yus don't know for certain. No, I didn't see it done. Was Rich familiar with the Red Dragon Inn? Darwin told me that he used to go there years ago. Carter had stopped using the tough vernacular, but Brocky did not notice it. The detective was slightly disappointed. He thought that at first Brocky knew more about the crime, but still, the rascal's evidence would show that Rich and Darwin had said that they would follow the old man. Did Darwin tell you whether he or Rich followed the old man after you left them? Carter asked. He did not, Brocky replied, but I'm guessing Rich was the one. What makes you think so? Didn't you read about what the bartender had to say? You mean about the tall man who entered the barroom after the old man? Yeah. Is that all you know? It is, Muxy. I think you know more. Nope. Carter, while he was talking, rose from his chair, holding one of his hands in the side pocket of his coat. Brocky did not move. Even when the detective drew up near to him, he did not suspect that he was in any danger. He poured out another glass full of liquor and drank it. As he was in the act of placing the glass back on the table, Carter caught hold of it, and before he could move or utter a word, the detective had the handcuffs placed around his wrists. Hey, what does this mean? Brocky ejaculated with a fierce oath, and, as he tried to jump to his feet, he faced the pistol which Carter pointed at him. The detective pulled off his disguise. Brocky recognized him immediately. He uttered a cry of terror, his face turned pale with alarm, and he sank down into his chair. Nick Carter, he gasped. Yes, and you're my prisoner, the detective smilingly replied. Oh, I'm done for. There is not the slightest room for doubt, my dear Brocky. I never thought I'd be taken in such a way. Curse the luck. There will be no chance for you to escape this time. If I had suspected, you would have tried to kill me. I would. From his pocket, Nick pulled out a silk cord. With it, he bound Brocky's arms and legs so tight that there was no chance for the rascal to escape. What are you going to do with me? Brocky asked when Carter had finished binding him. I am going to let you remain here for the present, the detective answered. 
Alone? <laughs> oh, no. Brocky subsided into a sullen silence and glared fiercely at Carter. Inwardly, he cursed him. The detective walked to the door and unlocked and opened it. Then he stepped out into the hall and gave a peculiar whistle. In a few minutes, Patsy bounded up the stairs from the floor below. What do you want, Mr. Carter? the young man asked as he confronted his chief. I have a prisoner in that room, Carter replied, pointing toward the room. I want you to guard him. I'll do it. See that you do, Patsy. If he should escape, my case might be ruined. He won't get a chance to escape. All right, I hope not. Who is it? Brock began. Gee! You know him. I should say I do. He's a dangerous rascal. I'd like to have the honor of capturing him. I don't see how you accomplished it. Well, I tricked him. The young man entered the room and inspected Brocky. Carter loitered outside in the hall for a few minutes, and then he commenced to descend the stairs. He had considerable faith in his young assistant, and he was confident that Patsy would guard the prisoner as well as he would himself. In that respect, his mind was easy. In the lower hall, he made a few changes in his disguise, and then he left the house. He went up to the Grand Central Station and commenced to inspect the cabman. At last, he found cab number 147. Hello, how are you? The man looked at him for a moment and then exclaimed, Hello, how are you? Pretty well. Did you stick to the trail of that old bloke the other night? Yeah. Carter had made himself up in such a manner that he looked like Brocky. He was delighted when the cabman recognized him as the thug. Well, who was he? the cabbie asked after a silence. He was the man who was murdered at the Red Dragon Inn. You're joking. I am not, protested Nick. I wouldn't like to stand in your shoes. Why not? The fly cops will get onto your following the old cove. They won't if you don't tell. Well, I might make some money by telling. You won't do that. Why shouldn't I? You'll get an innocent man into a hole. That's so. But I say, where's the tolmuck? Who do you mean? I mean the man who employed me. I thought you knew him. No, I don't, said the cabman. He just picked me up here at the depot and ordered me to follow the other mug. I thought he was a detective. You know who he is? Honestly, I do not. Would you call on him if I should give you his name and address? Of course I would. What will you do? I'll make him come down here with the rocks. Will you whack up with me? Of course I will. You'll play square. I swear it. Okay. His name is Simeon Rich, and he lives in the studio building at the corner of Broadway and 31st Street. Gosh! What are you going to do? I'm going to get someone to mine my rig, and I'm going to call on Mr. Rich. All right. I'll see you downtown. Carter hurried away. He stopped at a saloon and made a change in his disguise in the back room. When he came out, he was just in time to see cabbie number 147 making a beeline down Park Avenue. He started after it. What object had Carter in view when he gave Rich's name and address to that cabman? What indeed does Nick Carter have up his sleeve? And now that he has been able to tie Simeon Rich, Dick Darwin, and Brocky Gann together in the Red Dragon Inn murder, how will he catch the other two? Don't miss next week's final episode of Toying with Fate or Nick Carter's Narrow Shave. Well... Things have certainly heated up for our detective. I can't wait to hear what happens in the end. And now, for all you Forward Into the Past podcast listeners, it's time to take your support to the next level. 
By becoming a monthly subscriber on our Buy Me a Coffee page, you'll help me dive deeper into some of Public Domain's fascinating stories, improve our content quality and production value, and you'll be able to unlock exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content. Together, we can continue exploring the captivating tales that have shaped our world. So, don't wait. Head over to our Buy Me a Coffee page and subscribe today. Just follow the link on your favorite podcast platform or visit the podcast webpage at forwardintothepastpodcast.com. Okay, as usual, I'm beginning to ramble again, so I'm signing off until next week. As always, friends, thanks for listening, keep sharing the stories, and be a good human. <laughs> Bye for now.